Hello and welcome back to Makes the Ball Talk Gibberish uh, with me, Harry, your host. <laughs> it's been a while since I did an episode, so apologies for that, everybody. Um, I will be doing a season review. Uh, no, it's not a season review, sorry, a season preview. Um, hopefully very soon, well, before the season starts. It needs to be the next day or so. And I'll also be doing an episode about uh, the Euros that have just finished. So obviously, first of all, huge congratulations to the England national team, who obviously won Euro 2022, which is excellent, fantastic performance. Uh, so we'll be doing an episode on that in a little bit more in depth. Uh, but today we are talking about Man United uh, because we have Andrew on with us. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Harry. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. We're uh, looking forward to this episode because obviously United, um, well, there's a lot to say about them, even though they've done very little in terms of uh, season prep. So um, we will be, yeah, going through that really, won't we? So, um, you know, let me start off by asking you, you know, well, just what are your current thoughts about it at the moment? I mean, like, are you disappointed? Are you, are you is it time to panic? <laughs> is it time to panic? Um, well, inspired by Reverend, Love, Reverend Lovejoy uh, from The Simpsons, short answer, yes, with an if. Long answer, no, with a but. So is it time to panic? Yes, if we wanted Ten Hag to have all of the players that he wanted in for pre-season. I think we, uh, you and I had a, converse, had a conversation on this podcast, Harry, where we were talking about the need to get players in and quickly because Ten Hag's a very systems-based manager who wants to instill particular practices and philosophies relating mm. to football so it takes time to take that on board and it was going to be really important to have players the players that he wanted signed up as quickly as possible that didn't happen mm. so well, he got the pre-season that boat sailed yeah <laughs> yeah so the pre-season's over he got yeah. one player he got one signing in for pre-season the majority of pre-season which was Tyrell Malassia and then the other two who have currently signed up, Christian Eriksen and Lissandro Martinez, were assigned so late that they were only able to play last weekend, their first games last weekend, and yeah. presumably aren't going to be fit for the start of the season. So he's going to be starting the season with a weaker squad, a much, much weaker squad and a weaker team than he started then we start the end of the previous season. So it's basically, yes, if we wanted to have all signings in place before Ten Hag started, we've not succeeded in that. So it's a fair, it's it potentially is time to panic. The no with a but is I would say the the quality of the players that have brought in so far and the, and the sound of Ten Hag and some of the performances over pre-season all come together to provide a degree of reassurance and potentially a source of optimism for the future season. It looks like some players have been reinvigorated by playing under Ten Hag. He looks like he's not going to take any shit, which mm. is really good to hear. And they've played well in games. They've not played so well in some other games, but 
they have played well in games. And the, I mean, not that you can hold much truck by preseason performances, um, but there are reasons to be optimistic. So no, there's no need to panic, but they do need more signings. So I think that's my sort of, I suppose, my brief pricey of what the situation with it is at United. There's the shoots of potential there. It's looking quite promising, but they are desperately short in midfield and up front mm. and they need to sign players there. Yeah. How about okay. you? Well, <laughs> that this is it. I mean, like, you know, I kind of, I do agree that, you know, obviously... You know, preseason always helps when you have the players, when you do the business early, it always helps. You know, the people, the teams that hit the ground running, well, apart from Liverpool and City, as they do every year, well, over the last few years, are the ones who get people in early and bed them in early. You know, they're the ones who, who do well um, or have a good start anyway. Um, and United, over the last few years, just simply haven't ever had a good start. And, well, obviously the squad's not as good as it used to be, but, you know, it's also because they don't sign anyone until late, you know, and, and people who will improve the squad. I mean, they didn't sign. Well, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but Bruno Fernandes took a long time, didn't he? I mean, but he signed was, in he, January. He was January, wasn't he? But it's still like you know, he took it, it. It took it took it was quite protracted throughout January, wasn't it? I don't think I don't think so. But it's, I mean, that in itself, having to sign someone like him in January is indicative of there being a problem there and there was a big problem that was Solskjaer's first bit full season mm. and they were really struggling when it came to Christmas time I think they were halfway down the league because they yeah. started that season really poorly like you say um, and Maguire as well took ages to sign you know that was I mean like, I, don't, I know if he didn't necessarily come in and improve like because everyone sort of thought well why are they wasting the time? He, he, I seem to remember him only signing a, a week before the first game of the season, which is mm-hmm. but the well, I mean that that time has come and gone. But yeah, it's another. It was another one where they pointlessly haggled over a fee, and then ended up paying the fee that Leicester had asked for originally, or more than they lasted for asked for the season the season before when Mourinho wanted him. So, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, I suppose, where some context is potentially quite useful in that Maguire felt very much like a, not panic buy, but a very short-sighted signing in that it was someone who'd played well at the World Cup, but there was no real thought as to where how they were going to build the team around him and whether he was suitable to the type of team that they wanted to build. Mm. The protracted pursuit of this summer has been Frankie de Jong. Yeah. He is much more in keeping with a long-term plan for the team. And you can see the benefit of signing him. You can also see the benefit of holding out for as long as possible to see if he'll join. Because I think it's not like if when they signed Harry Maguire, they could have gone out and signed any one of a number of centre-halves across Europe and even within England who would have been better than, as good or better than him, for half the money. Yeah, Frankie de Jong is not someone that there's going to be a carbon copy of who's readily available to a club like Man United. 
I think it's, it's debatable whether or not he's even available to Man United, but they must, uh, we hope or think, think slash hope that they've been given some indication that he is willing to sign for them. Mm. Um, so you can understand that a little bit more. So maybe this year with my sort of very generous hat on, we can say that they've made, they've done some worthwhile business. I think, I don't think you can look at any of the signings and go, they are not needed. The, or everyone at the end of last season should say last season was saying they need a new centre half. They need well, it was debatable whether they needed another left back, but certainly after the seasons that Tellers and Shaw had, you can see mm. the, the the logic in signing a left back. Either side, and, really. yeah, right. Yeah, back. of course. So, like a lot of people talking about left back. Um, Sorry, not left back, right, the right back position being one that they need to strengthen, which apparently I've seen reports today say that they are attempting to strengthen that area of the pitch as well, which then does lead you to the sort of the conclusion that they're starting to panic a little bit, potentially. Mm. I don't know. I've it's it's a tricky one because <clears throat> I mean, how would you look at the De Jong pursuit then in terms of is if it doesn't work out, United are going to look really foolish. But in similar way to how Liverpool held out for Van Dijk and ended up signing him in January, I think. I think yeah, that was a thing. January, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because like, they, they identified him and he was their top priority and they, they knew he wanted to sign for them <clears throat> and they were willing to just wait it out rather than sign someone else and let him go to somewhere else, potentially. I mean, if Liverpool hadn't signed Van Dijk, he probably may well have ended up at Man City or abroad, and Liverpool would never have had him. So there's value, and potentially that half of the season that they had up until then, where they were maybe a bit leaky or conceded more goals than they they should have done, that wouldn't have happened. So you sort of, you think, well, on the one hand, that can be framed as, well, they should have pushed ahead and signed him when when they first identified him. But for a number of reasons, they weren't able to do it. So they held out and signed him when they could. Yeah. Is there is there an argument that that's what United are doing with De Jong and therefore it's right that they're doing what they're doing currently? Well, reports today are indicating that Chelsea are very much in the, you know, in the frame to sign him, and that they are in advanced talks with Barcelona. So, you know, if United don't sign him this summer, will they miss out on him, and will he go to somewhere like Chelsea? You know, like that's the question, isn't it? And obviously, it would be a massive blow, you know, if if they didn't sign him, or if he, or certainly if he signed for a rival, you know. Yeah, so that's the problem they've got is that I don't think with Van Dijk as the comparison, Van Dijk was willing to wait for Liverpool. De Jong's not going to wait, or they they can't be assured of the fact that De Jong's going to wait for Man United. So he he they need to sell him this yeah. summer, and they're going to sell him to whoever's willing to pay the money. If Chelsea are willing to pay the money, then. And he wants to go to Chelsea. They'll go. He'll sign for Chelsea. I mean, that that has been something that has not really the Chelsea reports have 
not had the same, I think, weight behind them as the Dion as the Dion to Man United sort of took um sort of rumors, if you understand what I mean. Like mm. there have been reports here and there. I think Sky Sports are reporting that Chelsea were in for Dion, but it's it's a bit like when they were in for in for Ronaldo in quotation marks. Like there was there's presumably high level talks for a lot of players mm. that um that you could potentially sign but you don't know what the details of those conversations are. I'd imagine that Man United feel fairly confident that they're in pole position to sign De Jong. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be moving on it quickly or there'd be deadlines set or there'd be something would have happened by now if there was the, that, that pressure from another bid from another club. Have to remember as well, Barcelona are probably going to be encouraging those sorts of rumours because... They want Man United to panic here. They want Man United to panic and come in with instead of a fifty to fifty million pound bid up to seventy, a sort of seventy outright, or even maybe you're pushing up further than that. They want to try and push the the price of Diong up as high as it'll go. And <clears throat> if Chelsea or they can be, they can almost convince Man United that, that Chelsea are interested in it, then that achieves that. Yeah. So yeah, that's a tri- that is a tricky cave- a caveat to it. It's 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 a difficult one. I think Man United are right, are going to look. Unfortunately, they've painted themselves into a bit of a corner now, and they're going to look foolish either way. They're, if they sign him, it's going to be a case of well, he didn't want to sign for you. You signed a really reluctant player, sort of similar to Angel Di Maria mm. in in twenty fourteen. And if he doesn't sign, they've wasted a load the entire summer hanging on, trying to sign De Jong, and they've only for him to end up elsewhere or signing a renewed deal at Barca on much less money, which I think he probably won't do. But like all eventualities are sort of up it are, are, are possible at the moment. So it's a tricky one. I think the one thing that worries me about it is to what extent this is impacting upon other deals. So if they want I saw a report today from ESPN that was saying that United are still in for a backup goalie, a right back and a forward. So if they're still in for those players, why haven't they signed them already? (laughs) Like if if they've identified those players as needed, why have we heard nothing? I mean, there's been reports over the past few days about this young uh, forward from Salzburg, Benjamin Sesco. Oh, yeah. um, who they are considering a bit as I mean, like all of this sort of transfer lingo, it's very, it gets a bit very muddled. They're sort of considering possibly investigating the possibility of inquiring like all yeah, these bloody yeah, yeah. words, but yeah, they're basically, I think they've had talks with Salzburg and have been put off by the price. So it's whether or not there's a budget there and that sort of contradicts what, uh, Richard Arnold was saying in the pub when he was uh, cornered, but when he went out to meet those Man United fans who'd gone to protest outside his house, and he, and he came and met them in the pub. Yeah. And he basically said, well, if the money's there, who does Ten Hag want? We'll sign them. It doesn't look quite look like that's the case. Is that it's if you want to sign a big money player like De Jong, that's going to impact upon the budget that we have for other players. So it's almost like the the 
the the rest of the cards can't fall into place until that deal is sort of been finalized which is <clears throat> a real awkward way of going about it mm. that is if those reports from the spn are true and i mean i would say that they definitely do need a forward because i think we were talking earlier on today there are three forwards if ronaldo yeah. leaves yeah, yeah, which actually could bring us nicely onto Ronaldo. I know we don't like to talk about him much. Uh, I certainly don't. Um, but obviously, you know, we have to mention him. Obviously, it's been a bit um, uh, self-centred, the behaviour yeah. uh, over the summer. So uh, what, what's your take on it? Um, it has been entirely in keeping with what Ronaldo has done <laughs> throughout his career. You have to remember, and I mean, <clears throat> this is stuff that we, at the time, we I just brushed aside yeah. because he was playing well. But he was talking about being a slave in oh. the summer of 2008 when United wouldn't let him join Real Madrid. This is after he'd had a couple of very, very, very good seasons after having been rubbish for three or four seasons prior to that. And United supported him through the post-World Cup stuff with Rooney and got him and he played really well. They'd won a European Cup and now all of a sudden he's a slave mm. and they can't and, he, and and what desperately wants to leave. So they eventually let him go to Real Madrid for a then world record fee. <clears throat> and that aspect of his behaviour is completely forgotten or completely yeah, just put to one side. Kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of Man United fans and we didn't do ourselves a lot of um, favours in terms of dignity um, when he signed again because was, I think people lost their minds a little bit. I'm, I'm very glad to say that even not... Sorry. I'm very glad to be able to say that I didn't lose my shit in the way that everyone else, that a lot of United supporters did. I was very lukewarm about the transfer for all of the reasons that we've talked about i'm happy to um, say that as well and on this podcast we've certainly uh been yeah lukewarm, if not cold yeah. towards ronaldo i would say yeah so <laughs> we've been proven very very right and like there's the 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 other reasons the moral reasons why he shouldn't have been signed you can put those to one side okay and I mean, we've spoken to, and I mean, you shouldn't put them to one side, but even if you wanted to just focus on the football side of things, which is what a lot of these people harp on about. He scored 20 goals last season, 20 something goals. Yeah. And they finished sixth with a, 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 a sort of a goal difference of zero. And he gave an interview after this just after Ten Hag had been hired and said he was really looking forward to working with Ten Hag. Then in July decides, actually, no, what I want is Champions League football. And also I'm upset with the the transfer, the, the, the progress of the transfers. So it's like, well, which of these, like, that was apparent. That was, it was apparent that United were going to do a big rebuild in April. It was apparent that they were not going to be qualifying for the Champions League in April. Mm. To have waited until now is intended or not even, well, it's actually worse because I was going to say it's intended to be as disruptive as possible. It's not actually intentional. He just doesn't care. 
and yeah, that's yeah. worse. He yeah. doesn't care how into how disruptive it is. It's all about satisfying what he wants. Yeah, and then that, and I'm in many ways vindictively quite glad or enjoying the way in which he's having to always debauch himself to try and find someone who wants to sign him. And they're talking about him potentially going back to sport in Lisbon. Now, this isn't to disrespect sport in Lisbon who qualify for the Champions League far more regularly than Man United do in recent years. (laughs) But I would hazard a guess that they've probably not been as far in the Champions League as Man United have been, even post-Ferguson. Because Man United have been to the quarterfinals a couple of times. Have Sport in Lisbon been to the quarterfinals of the Champions League since 2014? Have they been to the quarterfinals ever? And that's not to say, that's not, like, obviously there's lots of sort of issues wrapped up in that. The fact that we've got the same bunch of teams who qualify for the semis and the the quarters every year. There's a problem there with European football. And if Ronaldo wants to go back to Sporting in order to achieve or to re sort of almost reinvigorate himself or like re refined himself as a sort of like revisit the place where it all start mm. all started for him as sort of some coming home tale then good best of luck to him but be willing to take the pay cut that that's going to be necessary and also be willing to accept the fact that you're not the player that you thought you were that this isn't the you not you're not a player who is going to be attractive to teams who are looking to win the Champions League because you aren't the sort of player who plays in a complementary way that suits teams all of the best teams mm. all of the best teams do high pressing all of the best teams do intense high pressing and look to win the ball back as quickly as possible and have players who are willing to work within that Ronaldo doesn't do that. Yep. So no team that was is looking to win the Champions League, and this was the story that was coming out initially when he handed in or when he first wanted to leave the club, is that he yep. wanted to join a club that wanted was wanted to win the Champions League. And it's quickly become, oh, I want to join a club where I can add to my Champions League goals record. Join join Celtic, join join yep. Bra, join join whoever, join you the Estonian champions. Yeah, that well, that's yeah, good point. I mean, like I, I saw that as well. I saw that quote or that was attributed to him anyway, and um, you know about you know cementing this place as the record goal scoring in the Champions League, and I, I just thought, well, they're revamping the Champions League, aren't they, into group stages which are leagues, and because they're having more teams qualify for it from twenty twenty four, right? Yeah, so there's going to be a legacy aspect to it. So you're going to be able to qualify. Like they're going to award places based on coefficients. Right. So my thinking is then, right, if Ronaldo wants to cement his place as the top goal scorer, that's only going to last. That's not going to last, is it? Because let's face, let's say you've got someone, I don't know, like a 17 or 18-year-old who plays for... Well, look, look at that Diaz, right? Not Diaz, um, Darwin Nunes, who's just signed for Liverpool, right? He's what, 22, mm. 24, something like that. So in 2024, he's going to be like 26, right? Let's say, like, let's say he plays for Liverpool for 10 years and they, and they qualify for Champions League for 10 years. In the group stage alone, you're going to be playing more games than if you reach the final of the current setup. Yeah, true. So then, so surely, if someone who's good or plays for a good side for ten years in that format, they will play more Champions League games than you if you get to the final every year. 
So surely yeah. just by qualifying, so they're going to break records. That that record is not going to stand. And so well. I mean, I think there's a, there's a potentially a belief that it, he could build it up to a level that it could stand for quite a long time. I think that was a part of the story that I read, that he wanted to create a record that would stand for a long time. But you are right, depending on what they do with the competition. Because mm -hmm. if Kylian Mbappe is playing for Paris Saint-Germain and they're playing half the games against no marks in yeah. the group stage, exactly. then he's racking up, he could rack up 20 goals in the in the group stage. Just on the in the group stage alone, and that's more than Ronaldo's ever scored in a season. I mean, he has scored some ludicrous numbers in the Champions League, Ronaldo. Of course, like, it is it is crazy, but it yeah, like you say, depending on how the competition's reformatted, it could be very well be that someone like Mbappe or Haaland or Nunes, someone who plays for a very good team, who's a very who's like got a big gap between them and other teams. And he's playing a lot of fodder. Yeah. In, I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe Nunes wouldn't be that sort of player because he, because Liverpool are more likely to sort of rotate and in yeah, games okay. that are meaningless. Example, yeah. But Harley's like, example, Mbappe is a better example. Mbappe would probably be the guy because he's the one who's he's he's a bit like Ronaldo, isn't he? And yeah. that he's got he's got that ego. Yeah. I say he got an ego. I mean, there's clearly an ego side to him, but like, he's around, the sort yeah. of guy. He's a superstar who is almost forces forces the manager to pick him in every match yeah, yeah um so i just think it's incredibly yeah. excited of ronaldo to sort of almost gamble his reputation and um his status he's to, not to do this he doesn't see it as a gamble though that's the thing is that he's he's assumed a position through very intense marketing where people like Ronaldo rather than like any team, they follow Ronaldo. And that's a lot of his fans are Ronaldo followers. So they will follow the team that Ronaldo plays for. Yeah. And it, he's got, this is the big thing with where, why probably Man United are looking to keep him in an ideal world. But there's also rumours that they desperately want to get rid of him. So who knows? what the where the truth lies but he's got more social media followers than man united the club have he's more famous than manchester united he's more followed than manchester united he can on his own he can generate money at a faster rate than manchester united can yeah it's crazy and that's and that's part of what the modern sort of football setup looks like it's why so Paris Saint-Germain are willing to give money to Mbappe and, and Messi and accumulate these stars because it brings eyes onto them. They don't actually have to play that well or mm. do that much. I mean, and I was speaking to sort of a guy, an Indian guy who I know um, from work about Ronaldo. And he got his friends are desperate to like, because he's in, based in Manchester, obviously, they're desperate, like they're on the phone to him. Can you get tickets to these games? Can you get tickets for so we can go and see Ronaldo? Like that, it'll bring people to Old yeah. Trafford from places as distant as India and maybe even further afield. So there's that element to it. Um, but in terms of his behavior, it's standard, like, no one should be surprised by this. I did think this 
this quote from the Atleti, sort of, because um, Atletico Madrid are one of a very a num a numerable number of sort of um, clubs who have been clubs who have been linked with him. <laughs> yeah. So there's this sort of Atleti fan group, which okay. I just want to read out if you'll indulge me. Of course. Because I thought this was fantastic. So the statement that they gave read. With the possibility that the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo is something more than a simple rumour without any basis, we show our complete rejection to a hypothetical signing by our club. The mentioned player represents the antithesis of the values which make up the identity of our Atleti, which are the effort, generosity and humility. Even with the possibility, not probability, that a player in clear decline like Cristiano Ronaldo could assure a trophy, we would not accept his signing. The sense of belonging to our Atletico feeling is not something within his reach, unfortunately for him, so that he would never be able to achieve our love or recognition. So we ask the club to reject his possible signing if that is what they are have considered in any moment, which I just thought was just incredible sort of very concise but very pointed takedown of what Ronaldo has come to represent in terms of just a, a single-minded, completely self-obsessed, completely selfish player who serves no one else in his team other than him. And they just completely rejected that and with, and with a well-reasoned, justified explanation as to why they reject it. It's something which I think I would have hoped that Manchester United supporters may have been able to put together prior to them him signing last season, but unfortunately weren't able to. Would clearly don't clearly everyone lost their minds and sort of got caught up in the uh, the chutzpah about uh, mm -hmm. about it. But yeah, so hopefully we can get rid of Ronaldo. But yeah. and then this is something I wanted to ask you about. So in the event that he doesn't leave mm. and they're stuck with him what do you think will happen uh interesting um well they can't just stick him in the reserves because obviously that will cause a lot of issues um he, well he's gonna have to play isn't he really i mean like you know i think we were talking about this before you know he's gonna have to play and really to everyone's detriment i mean because ronaldo won't be happy playing the players won't be happy playing with him because of the effort he put, or the lack of effort he would potentially be putting in, or the fact that it would be all about him. Ten Hag wouldn't be happy to have to pick him every week because the system wouldn't work. And then every every game they lose, every goal they concede, is potentially on Ten Hag rather than on a team that has a player who's not buying into the system in it. So therefore, it makes the team weaker, which obviously will reflect badly on the manager. So, you know, it is going to be bit of a shit show if he stays because as I said he's gonna play and I don't see any way around it I mean do you do you do you, do you agree with that yeah that's the unfortunately the conclusion that I draw as well because he does this was stories that were coming out last year is that and we've spoken about it before he does exert considerable influence it's not necessarily a negative influence mm. but he does exert influence over and he, he is an like sort of an inspiring figure and a leader within the dressing room if, however, given all what we've said about him before, that he's clearly got, he's clearly an egotist and he's clearly doing a lot of this stuff for himself, which, I mean, some people might argue is, is entirely within his rights. That's fine. Um, but to do it, as we've discussed, to do it in the manner that he's done, it's potentially something that you could disagree with. 
But mm. when it comes to that influence that he exerts over other players, if he's unhappy and he's visibly unhappy, and he's done it before, like when he got dropped for the Everton game like at home last season early on, Solskjaer, it was almost like Solskjaer had had the gauntlet thrown down to him by by the fact that they had so many forwards. They started the season. It's so crazy to think about the, the, them than talking about Manchester United, Manchester United being overstocked with forwards last season, and now we've ended up with so few. But yeah, they had so many forwards and so many games to play that those are. It was almost like Solskjaer was being. I just remember the press around it before the game. Like it was almost like it was a challenge to his authority as manager. You've got to be able to drop Ronaldo to show that you're still in charge. And he dropped him. What did Ronaldo do? He completely threw a massive drop, just like he did when he got taken off against Brentford and Ranić had to spend five minutes calming him down. Like mm-hmm. these are the things that he does visibly in public. What is he like? in private when things aren't going well for him yeah and yeah like you say that's that's the thing so could he could he get away with dropping him ten hack if he behaves like he behaves publicly and starts to really throw his toys out the pram and kick and start kick up a fuss and starts to whinge to his portuguese speaking friends within the squad that's that's poison then, and it starts to become it become a drip, drip, drip sort of situation. But also, what and, you've got before as well, um, by virtue of him playing, there's there's bums on seats. You know, they, it attracts people to the football club. So you know, obviously, there's an incentive there from the owners potentially or pressure to 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 play him as well. This is it, and you can't. And you're going to have situations where if he does get dropped, the story all becomes about him, and it's exa- it is exhausting. Like yeah. how little conversation there's. I mean, there was always. Uh, I say how little conversation. I wish there was less conversation about how bad Man United were last season. But <laughs> a lot of the time, like even though Man United had played horrifically, something Ronaldo was doing something, or like there was an issue with Ronaldo, which also required attention. And it was exhausting, like the fact that he got dropped for the City game and then pretended he was injured and flew off and didn't watch the game and didn't stay in the stands to watch the game, flew off to have his hip flexor issue sort uh, treated, which was magically treated and fine by the ne- the time the next game rolled round. Yeah, like no one in Manchester could possibly treat it as well. Yeah, exactly. So you might, you know, Manchester are probably paying millions of pounds to for all these medical facilities, but no, Ronaldo's got to go and visit his his. Is whoever is physician in Portugal it's just bollocks it's just all everything revolves around him and it's just exhausting and it, I'm really really hoping that we can be rid of it and that's yeah. I think the overarching conclusion that we have to draw but like you say it's going to be very difficult for Ten Hag to manage and it's an unwelcome distraction to put it yeah. mildly absolutely because they're in the middle of a rebuild as you touched on before and um, you know they need They've obviously been chasing Frankie de Jong, who we've spoken about, and they want a right back as well and a, and a forward. Um, you know, I suppose really just going into the signings, then potentially, you know, we've talked about Frankie de Jong. Um, they've been linked to a forward, uh, a young forward from Salzburg. Um, ideally, who do you think they should sign? I mean, I suppose, 
suppose I'm asking ideally and also realistically, you know, what are your thoughts on it and um, to try and improve the squad before the end of the transfer window? Um, I think realistically, they're probably going to end up with a midfielder and a forward. Right. I think that I think that's doable. I think it might be a bit of a mad dash. I think we'll know more next week, which is when Barcelona are having to register players. They can't register anyone without having sold. They can't register any of the new players without having sell, having sold players first, <clears throat> because yeah. of the the Spanish sort of La Liga's um, financial fair play requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frankie De Jong is at the top of the list of players that they want to sell. Of course, they rec- they basically he frees up quite a bit of their budget, which they can then bring in the likes of Lewandowski, Rafinha. Christensen, um, and they still want to assign more players. They're looking mm-hmm. to sign Marcus Alonso, Azpilicueta, and also Bernardo Silva. I read the Bernardo Silva thing today. I think that would be that would be Liverpool's ticket to the league. I think really, yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a, really... that would be one that they would have to try and go a bit more like for like City because they signed they signed Calvin Phillips to replace Fernandinho, which. I think Calvin Phillips is quite a good player. I don't think he's, I don't think he's the sort of like the second coming. I think, and I think Declan Rice is a better player than than Calvin Phillips. Um, So they can get away with that one because Fernandinho's legs were gone and probably Calvin Phillips represents an upgrade on Fernandinho, but without any. But Rodri is the natural successor, isn't he? Whereas yeah, yeah. So I mean, Calvin Phillips as as a, as a, an option in the squad to come into a game. Calvin Phillips is now a better player than Fernandinho. Okay. That's not to say that he's always been a better player than Fernandinho. It's just that Fernandinho's thirty-seven, yeah, and yeah, yeah, was yeah. getting roasted in games that they were struggling in, and yeah, ultimately cost them against Real Madrid. <coughs> mm. And in other games as well, he was really really struggled. Remember, really struggling in the West Ham game um, towards the end of the season as well. Um, but with Bernardo Silva, I don't think they've got anyone like him in the squad. No. And they couldn't necessarily just absorb it because they've already lost Jesus and they've already lost Raheem Sterling. I mean, these are fairly risky signings, the out- outgoings. Because um, yes. they've not really replaced, they've lost Sterling and Jesus, and they've signed Haaland. Mm. So they've not said so they've not replaced two. They've replaced two with one, basically, um, yeah. which is probably going to be okay. But given the players that they've got, but if they were to lose Bernardo Silva as well, then that would be complicate matters. But yeah. Yeah. to return it to what we were saying before, Barcelona. Are looking to sign more players. I didn't mention Frank Kessie as well from AC Milan. He's a free transfer. Oh, yeah. And Kunde. So, on who? Jules Kunde. Oh, oh yeah, Jules Kunde as well. So there's a load of players that they've signed already, and also they want to sign mm. that they're just going to have no hope without selling Frankie De Jong, basically, or selling someone else who's who's on really high wages. And I don't think there's anyone else who's on high wages that they want to sell. So they have to sell Frankie de Jong. <clears throat> so that's good. That's that's basically and the 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 sticking point at the moment seems to be that money that he's owed. 
and Barcelona being very, very sneaky about this, and they're they're being, I think, there's well, there's rumours this is sort of starting to be tantamount to illegality, sort of, and there's been sort of rumours about them acting illegally in some instances. Um, so they're a sketchy club; they're behaving very sketchily, but that we know that for certain that they can't get away with these things signing all these players and registering them unless they get rid of some players and Frankie de Jong's at the top of the list. So next week we'll know, I think. <clears throat> so if they don't sign Frankie de Jong, they do have other targets. We're reassured again, it, depending on how much faith you place in these reports. Mm-hmm. I'd assume though that they still, just numbers wise, because if you think about the players that they've lost, United, Pogba, Matic, Mata, Cavani, Lingard. Someone else? Is there another? Is there another? Well, free transfer. Uh, Greenwood. Will Greenwood reasons? You know, of course. Um, play next season, hopefully. Um, they're selling Tellez. They are. Tellez. I think a centre half. Maybe Jones is going to leave, and also. Uh, yeah, no, I'm talking about the players that have left already. Sorry. Oh, apologies. Um, so know. who's left already? So I'm not missing anyone, I don't think. So Pogba, Matic, Mata, Lingard, Cavani. I can't think of anyone else, no. And Pereira, Andres Pereira is left as well. Um, and he's and Dean, Dean Henderson as well. Dean Henderson, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. also it's, it's, it, it puzzles me that, you know, like United, uh, you know, they, they do, don't help themselves a lot really because like last season or last summer, they convinced uh, Lingard and Henderson to stay because they would, you know, they basically said to Lingard, you're going to be in my plans and you're going to play a lot. And they said to Henderson, you're going to be number one. None of those things happened or neither of those things happened. And so, you know, they were both pissed off and left. Lingard, they could have got 20 million quid for him, potentially from, from West Ham that summer. They kept him and now he's gone for free. Henderson, they could have got, 20 between 20 and 30 million from Chelsea for him, but now he's gone for what a loan with an option to buy, which will be about five million quid or something. From it's 20 million, I've heard the 20 FIFA Henderson for, for Forest, yeah. but okay. it is it's true. I think it's it's just one of it's it's the mangled thinking, which I do think often well at its head of, of that summer was Ronaldo, in that I think I think in an ideal world Lingard would have come back in. And they would have had Cavani, but Cavani would have been in and out of the team, and and Lingard would have been in and out of the team, um, and they would have had sort of five, six players, one very experienced, and the couple who were sort of more senior forwards who were all sort of able to rotate and sort of play in different positions. Yeah, what they got was a fella who always had to play, and then other players who had to fit around him, which meant that a load of players ended up not playing. Lingard, Mata, Cavani. Cavani was injured every week because he got the same disease as Ronaldo that I'm not getting picked, so I'm injured disease. Um, So, yeah. But in terms of... So they've lost all those players and they've not really replaced any. So when it comes to a midfielder, they're going to have to sign one just because they don't have the numbers. They've got McTominay and Fred, who are the only two who are capable of playing six and eight. Yeah. Um, And 
uh, push then Ericsson and Donny van der Beek would sort of, but I think what the reason Ericsson has been signed, I think is because he's a very technically gifted footballer who can play anywhere at a push basically yeah. across the midfield. So he could play attacking midfield. He could play deeper. He could play up. He could play on the left-hand side. <laughs> They're basically going to be relying at the moment as things stand on Freddie McTominay basically playing every game and then Donny van der Beek and, and Ericsson filling in while also potentially filling in on the wing while also Donny van der Beek filling in up front as well. So they just, they're going to be stretched too thin unless they're thinking like Zidane Iqbal, Charlie Savage, Hannibal are going to come in and play centre midfield, mm. which is very, very, very fanciful and very, really, really a lot of pressure on those guys. To... Quite interesting though, you know, I mean, like, you know, it, rather than all of them coming in, maybe just like, you know, I mean, Hannibal, they think is, they, they're very excited about him, aren't they? And Zidane Iqbal as well. Uh, James Garner, is he back or has he gone back out? Yeah, that? James Garner. James Garner is another one. But again, like the reports were that he's good for, for Nottingham Forest, but not standout. And that's in the championship. So, and they've signed midfielders as well. So it sort of suggests that they're moving forward and they've gone potentially gone beyond James Garner, mm-hmm. which again, and it's again, it's, I think we talked about, I think in the podcast, the sort of a season review podcast that we did about wanting to see more young players. I think people got frustrated with Ranić towards the end of his time there that he just wasn't picking the young players, even though there was basically nothing to play for. Yeah. He would never, you don't never give them like loads of minutes. And his his argument was that you don't want to put them in when they're re- you with the team's really struggling. You want them to come in when the team's playing well so this sort of gives them a really solid basis to work with and I can see the merits of that argument but I think people wanted to see basically less of all of the other first team players (laughs) and more of players that they could get behind yeah I think that the that attitude has changed shifted slightly now and I think even though it would be exciting in a way for them to just go balls to the wall and say right okay it's McTominay and Fred Garner, Iqbal and Charlie Savage are our midfielders for the season. And then and then Danny van der Beek and Eriksson as and when. And, and then potentially Garnacho up front as well. Garnacho and bring in someone else up front, another young player up front. I don't know if they've got anyone who's cl- close to the <laughs> to the first team, but say Garnacho comes in and, and plays there and is the support, the backup to the main three. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be very exciting and I suppose there's maybe I'm arguing myself out of it now but I just think it gives them it puts a lot of pressure on them yeah, like yeah. If, they, if there's another midfielder at least then at least you've you can you've got someone around whom the team is focused and based which means then that when the young players come in they've got a really clear reference point because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the thing is a really... before they get going couldn't it really you know what I mean if you put too much pressure on them too early too young well I mean the thing is if if McTominay and Fred were both injured at the same time which can happen which very easily yeah. could happen I mean they're into a situation that, that's stupid aren't they you know that's shite so yeah well 
it's so then their squad players are best and they're the two first choice. They get both injured at the same time. We've got a situation like you had at Liverpool during the COVID season where they've got no they've got no one to come in. So they have to pick two young players in key, a very key position. And like maybe you could make the argument that Nat Phillips and who's the other kid who got, kept getting picked? What, centre off? Yeah, Phillips and someone else. There's another guy who maybe had a similar name to Phillips. Yeah, I know who you mean. I can't think of yeah. his name now, though. Yeah. Anyway, those two guys, I think one of them may ended may have ended up at Burnley and another one. Oh, they had Kabak oh. as well, didn't they? They had Kabak on loan from Schalke, who ended oh, up yeah. in who ended up at Norwich last season. Yeah. So they this is the thing. So like they didn't have it was unfair to have placed that pressure on them. Hence why he picked for a while he picked Fabinho and Henderson at centre half. It was unfair to place so much pressure on players who are very clearly not prepared for it or having to deal with the pressure on their own. And that would be the situation you'd find yourself in if Fred and McTominay got injured at the same time. You'd have to pick, particularly if other positions in the there were other injuries and other play play um places in the team say for instance if Martial and Rashford go down at the same time which has ha- definitely happened before yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like so you're having to play Ericsson on the left Donny van der Beek up front in the false nine <laughs> and then who you play and then Fred and McTominay Fred and McTominay are injured as well you're having to pick you literally have to pick Iqbal and Savage to play centre midfield and it would be really there's nothing for them. There's no one to steer them through the game. Yeah. There's yeah. no one. There's no one they can use as a reference point. It would be really unfair, and that, that's not an unrealistic situation. It's not like it's not. It's not like even with Liverpool, where you say, "Well, Van Dijk's going to get injured." Then, um, who's the other? Who's the first choice centre half? Is it Matip nowadays? Matip, yeah, Matip Gomez. And then someone else got injured as well. Then Henderson got injured. Then Fabinho got injured. Five injuries. It wouldn't even take five injuries to for United to be in the situation I've described. Four. Mm. And and then and with all the games that they're having to pack, pack in as well. Yeah. This is where they could they could come in and out of the team for the Europa League uh, group stage games in particular. I did, wouldn't have a problem with that. But having to rely on them in Premier League games, particularly if they're being if they've got no backup themselves, I think would be really really unfair. Um, so, yeah, they definitely do need a midfielder, and they definitely definitely need a forward. I'd say they probably need they could probably get away with only getting one, but ideally two mm-hmm. forwards. Right. Yeah. But like you know. I mean, they've been so like lacklustre in and, and not proactive at all in signing anyone really apart. Well, I mean, they've 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 made three signings, right? Fair enough. But you know, they obviously needed needed a hell of a lot more than that, and they haven't got it. So you know, who do they go out and sign? You know what I mean? Like it's it's too it, it, they they they've not done it quickly. So who can they realistically go and sign for those positions? You know, well, those the players we've spoken about, Benjamin Benjamin Sasko looks like a goer. Potentially, and De Jong. He's uh, 
you know they've been put off by the price i mean is well it yeah so this is time? this is where they this is where they're going to have to make they're going to have to make the choice and this is ultimately what i think it comes down to a lot of the time with man united is having to make that choice over value and this is where these things rumble on i don't understand this is the thing that annoys me and i find really baffling about the situation benjamin sesco presumably is a player that has been scouted and recommended either by Ten Hag or by the scouting department or by someone within the club. Why was this, why is this recommendation only now being acted on? Mm. Like, why is it the case that they waited until two days before the start of the season before, before pursuing this? I don't get it. Like, unless, unless they're waiting on Ronaldo potentially, unless they've been trying to convince Ronaldo to stay and they've lost hope that they're going to be able to convince him to stay. So they've decided to move on now. That could be it. But even with, even with Ronaldo, they still needed another forward, even if Ronaldo was there because he wasn't going to be able to play every game. And they, they only have three other forwards, three other senior forwards. And they know that Ten Hag wants to play three at the up top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the three that they'll play. It, it seems to me at the moment, and if Ilanga going to play? What? Pardon? Ilanga? Is he going to play? Can't oh, Ilanga! You forget about Ilanga. Yeah, I did forget about Ilanga. So they've got a, they've got someone there as a backup potentially. Who? I I mean, he's got a good song. Um, I quite like to him. The, to the rhythm to the tune of rhythm to a uh, rhythm as a dancer, um, which is very clever, um, but. He's got a ropey, ropey touch, and he seems to be only good running in behind, which mm. that's not the way they play with Ten Hag. They, what he wants the players on the wing to come to the ball. So he's not wanting players who are running in behind. So Elang has not got a good enough touch. He's not good enough on the ball to play in the way that Ten Hag wants them to play. And that's my worry for him. Um, so, yeah, he's one who is very much, he was a bit of a desperation one. He came into the team under Ranjit because I think Ranjit liked him because he did as he was told, Yeah, which says a lot about the rest of the team at the time. Um, but now that they're trying to operate a bit more of a possession-based game, I don't know. I think he's going to be one that's going to. I'm going to have to improve a lot to feature, yeah. Yeah. and so this is why that there's a pressing need for someone who could come into the team now up yeah. front. Because they've got um, a lot of these type of players, haven't they? Who are like fringe players on the squad who they paid a lot of money for as well. I mean, like you know, Ahmad is a forgotten man. You know what I mean? Like he was at Rangers last season, and the, yeah, and like you know, the reports aren't great from Rangers, but you know, if you're paying that much money for him, then why you know like why would you unless there's something there yeah it's a tricky it is a tricky one because i think this is ultimately palestri and and uh, ahmad are them trying to apply forward thinking to that position to the right wing position yeah um and it's really not born fruit they've got two players there who they probably would have expected to be coming back into the squad now to be able to play to be squad players and the fact that we've forgotten about them there maybe that's 
sort of speaks to our lack of attention, but also mm-hmm. does speak to how much, how little impact that they're having and that they've had on their loans. I mean, the same is true of Anthony Martial as well, to be fair. Very, yeah. I mean, if he'd had, a, if he'd had, had a, a good loan, he wouldn't be playing for Man United, <laughs> would he? Because yeah, he'd yeah. have been, Sevilla would have signed him. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit, that part of the team and the fact that it's been neglected up until this point in the window is very difficult for me to understand. And that's the frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something that it's not at all what Ten Hag's responsible for. He's not, he doesn't bear any responsibility. Um, again, it's tricky to know what the decision-making process is because it seems to be the case that even though they've got this new structure in place like we were talking about in a previous podcast, mm. it, it's all players that Ten Hag knows. And it was as that he's played for him at Ajax or yeah. he knows from the Dutch league or has trained with him in Ajax. He's not, they're not suggest. I mean, Benjamin Sesco might be one that they found, but they're so lacking in confidence in him that they've only suggested him when they're very desperate for players and um, seems to be the case who knows it's tricky I think they've got I mean they may we can maybe transition into talking about the first few games and maybe give our bit of a prediction about where we think how we think Man United are going to do in this initial period up to September and mm. then for the, the season as a whole so they've got Brighton Brentford and Liverpool to play before yep. the transfer window ends, I think. Uh, I think there might be another yeah. game as well. So they got so they got Brighton, then Brentford away, then Liverpool at home, then Southampton away in August. Okay, so they've got four games there where maybe you could generously say that you'd be confident about them winning one. <laughs> <laughs> Brighton at home. Well, a lot of optimistic fans would say they should get. They should get nine points. I think they should. I, I mean, I think at this stage of the season, it's just important staying on, like trying to stay unbeaten. So six points, but a win and three draws would actually be quite good. Well, Whereas two wins yeah. and two defeats would be pretty bad. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just a sort. Of, I suppose it's trying to. <clears throat> I suppose it's trying to, at this stage, well, there's all there's all this stuff up in the air about the transfers and he's trying to manage that transition from last season. There's, the performances are going to be important, but he is going to need some results as well just to tide him over because otherwise it starts to get start to feel a bit messy, doesn't it? So if, say, if they draw at home to Brighton, which is very possible, they, lo- they lose at Brentford, which is very possible. They lose at home to Liverpool, which is very possible. And then they draw against Southampton. All of these are plausible results. Yeah. All of them were results apart from, well, actually, they beat Brighton at home and they beat Brentford away last season. I think they drew with Southampton away, I think, very early on in the season. They lost very heavily at home to Liverpool. Mm. Um, but, pl- like, plausibly... They could go through those four games if they play anything like they played last season, towards the end of last season. Yeah. They could come out of those first four games with two points. Mm. And then if Frankie de Jong's still making a decision over who to play for, he might go, yeah, you know what? I might I might just stay at Barcelona on half the wages. Thanks, lads. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but 
that's the thing. So it's sort of, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to the Brighton game because I'm very optimistic about this season for some very odd reason, despite the fact that we've spoken for nearly an hour now about how appallingly <laughs> United have prepared for this season. Yeah. I, there's something about Ten Hag, which is very sort of inspiring and sort of reassuring at the same time, which I am enjoying. Yeah. But again, I felt the very similar to um, about Louis van Gaal and well, that went it. south very quickly. But, you know, I think that Ten Hag's brand of football been like touted is very very exciting you know it's it's, it's good to watch it's um you know it's attacking and that's kind of what you want isn't it it's entertaining so yes even if the results don't go your way it will still be good to watch hopefully you know and if that's that if that's all they can do and you know they finish eighth ninth but they play his way and they play well but they lose games but they're playing entertaining football I would take that as a former Man United fan. Uh, I, you know what? Absolutely, I absolutely agree. And I think that's when, but that's when you really want the stuff, the stuff that's been going wrong this season to kick in and work. So mm. if they play this season and they're scoring a shit ton of goals, but conceding a shit ton of goals, or they can't keep, they haven't got a sufficient screen in midfield or they can't keep hold of it in midfield, or there's some identifiable problem position where they go out and they go, okay, this gives us a list of positions that we need to buy players for this the coming summer. Mm. And we, we build on what we had, add these players, they'll strengthen us in the play, in the areas we've been weak, much like Liverpool did. Like They had a crap goalie and they had a crap centre-half. Yeah. And they signed a really good goalie and a really good centre-half. And they're on their way then. Yeah. If if this season allows Ten Hag to do that, then great. It doesn't really matter where we finish. I think the problem he's going to have, and like this is we've spoken about this before, is if it becomes a bit of a mess, and there are any one of a number of things can go wrong but I think the, the situation that we've been speaking about of him being promised players and then them not materialising yeah. could put him out of kilter and it's whether or not he's one to stick around if he's not getting what he needs that's another sort of that's another un- unknown because he's clearly a guy who's got a good reputation yeah, he was like, and he, is he going to be willing to? And he's still a guy who's got years left. He's not like Van Hal, who's who came in really as an international manager to do a couple of year, three years as a club manager again, and then go back off to do the international stuff again. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not he's not a stopgap. He's a long term guy, but he feels like he's got a long term rain in him but it doesn't have to be at Man United like he'll look at it and that's the thing so if he, they finish eighth and he goes right these problem areas or he said to them we need these players in these positions this summer and when they don't get them he might start thinking you've sold me a, you sold me a lie here yeah. I'm gonna and that's where it starts to I think I'm probably more worried about that side of it than I am <laughs> the players or the players that they even the the, ta- the 
the, the name of the player that they sign or the, the results on the field, it's going to be more of a case of, are they giving Ten Hag the chance to succeed? And if they don't give him the chance to succeed, who are they going to end up with him? What are they going to end up with when, if and when he decides to leave? But right. yeah, that's that's the pessimistic aspect of this conversation that potentially wanted to avoid going into a new season where we Man United are definitely going to win the league. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I suppose there's so much uncertainty. It really does feel that way, doesn't it? Like there's so much, it's so many different ways that it could go. Like that, I mean, I'm not saying that Man United might finish first. I mean, Leicester won the league, so it's possible. But like, it's the highlight, highly likely, highly unlikely that Man United are going to win the league or going to finish above Liverpool or or whoever finishes second. They're not going to finish second either, or you wouldn't thought thought so. But you could see it going well if it all. If it, sorry, I didn't catch any of that, Harry. Is that you predicting Liverpool winning the league? Oh well. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to predict that Liverpool win the league ever, but I don't like <laughs> to predicting that City are going to win the league. So it's only by virtue of elimination that I end up predicting City win the league. But in terms of like the the sort of the other positions, it could go very, as we've said, it could go very wrong, or it could go be ropey and be really inconsistent. United could finish eighth or ninth if they get the good players in. If they get De Jong and they get a forward and they get a right back. Then they've sort of started to like fill the gaps that we thought prior to the season started they needed to fill, and mm. so there's a good chance then of and if it all clicks for that for Ten Hag, and all of those players come in and play well, and the likes of Frankie De Jong could very well do that. There's a higher likelihood of him coming in and doing really well than say Ruben Neves at Wolves. Yeah. If, it, if that all works, the United could very, very, I could see them. They've got a better team than, the bet, they potentially got a better team then than any of the other rivals for the top four. Mm. I mean, yeah. Kane and Song are the big, the big two in terms of Tottenham. Um, but yeah, they've got... Good strengthening though, you know, they've got some good midfielders there and they've got some good, and they've got a couple of... It's tri- it's strengthening in a in a very prosaic way. So Ivan Perisic, he's done well at Inter Milan. He's very old and he's been playing in Syria. That's not to insult Syria. It's just that he's very old and he's coming to a new league. He may well be good. There's a he's, but I wouldn't have said that he's one that scares me. As, as one of Tottenham's rivals. Eve Basuma is one who's got touted for a lot of teams. Again, he's he's a good, he's a decent enough player, but he's a bit like Indidi or Idrissa Gay or those sort of crab midfielders or Ander Herrera, like crab midfielders who do a job but aren't going to be the guys who are lifting you to the next level. Mm. I still don't think, I mean, does he get in the team ahead of Hubia or uh, Bentacore? Well, Bentacore is the best player they've got in midfield, in my opinion, or in that role, you know, and and I don't think Basuma is an upgrade on him, far from it. No, 
So and Hubia, he might get in the team ahead of Hubia, who had a good season, is a, a decent enough player. So it's again, it's a player on the level of the players that they've already got. Yeah. And then they signed Richarlison. Again, I mean, for those of you listening, I mean, you're all listening because we're not releasing the video. I gave a sort of shrug of the shoulders and a bit of a frown. Richarlison is a decent enough player who played very well for an Everton team who started to play kick and rush towards mm. the end of the season. And he scored a lot of goals in a very messy end to the season yeah. where they were literally huffed. They, I watched some of those games and it was entertaining, but they weren't. They weren't pretty games. They were huffing it upfield and they were looking for knockdowns and he was good at doing that. But yeah. the Tottenham are meant to be a possession team and he's he and presumably he's not going to get in the team ahead of Harry Kane. So or Son. He, or Son. So, or Kulosevsky. Yeah, exactly. So he's enough. So again, so the team, that Tottenham team, which was all credit to them, a long way ahead of Man United last season, in terms of the number of points they finished with. There was a point in the season where Man United were looking like they could probably catch Tottenham. They beat them with that Ronaldo hat-trick and not playing very well. Tottenham didn't pull up any great trees during that game. Um, So, like, you could definitely make a case that United could overhaul Tottenham, even in spite of their their quote-unquote signings. I mean, they signed Jed Spence as well, who had a very good season in the Championship. Again, and it's apparently not someone Conte who really wanted either. Really? Well, he said, oh, the club really wanted Spence, which is his way of saying, I didn't want him. (laughs) They they wanted him. So whether he plays at all, we'll have to see. He does does like to play wingers, you know, like supposedly. Wait, it's a wing, but Jed Spence is a wing back. So I think he could be a decent, like, from what I hear, he looks like he's a decent player at wing back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be another, like, sort of session on situation where they sign him and he doesn't really do much for a couple of years. And then you might come into the team in a few, in a couple of years' time, potentially. So they, they sort of, I feel like they've strengthened their squad, but in terms of the overall quality of the team, they've stood still a little bit. And I think you could probably make the case that Chelsea have got weaker. And Arsenal, they've they got strong... Pardon? Chelsea have just signed Kukurea. That has been confirmed tonight. Oh, they signed Kukurea. Like, a left-back to add to their many other left-backs. Mm, yeah, but he's a left-sided centre-half. They reckon he played his best football at Brighton at centre-half. So, you know, maybe... They well, we'll have, to, we'll have to see. It's not... I mean, he's a good player, but... I like him. I like him. Okay. He's a good player. He's a good player. But, but as they, you say, they've lost a lot of players as well. So, you know, they've lost like, players. They, you know, yeah, they've lost leaders at the back. They potentially look like they're going to lose more leaders at the back. They signed someone to score them the goals in Raheem Sterling, who I don't think Raheem Sterling's a bad player. I also don't think he's as good as sometimes he's made out to be. Mm. I think he ends up scoring lots of goals in that City team. A lot of the sort of four and fourth and fifth goals in a six nil win. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And also it's a lot of like, um, you know, 
the left winger slash right winger opposite Sterling has it and pass it across the face of the goal. You know how City work their goals a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really I think that's like that's that. you've got to be in the position to score those goals. So of that's course. where I think that's where he comes in and where potentially Tuchel sees a role yeah. for him. That's where the training, big. isn't it? You know what I mean? And where the uh, system comes in. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So like them working it so Walker gets or like you say Ma- Mares gets the byline and puts it low across the, the goal and Sterling's there at the back post to just knock it in mm. that is a classic goal that the City have scored for, been scoring for a few years now and if Sterling can occupy those same spaces for Chelsea potentially he's got a big potential to score a lot of goals yeah. it depends if they play that way for him it also depends on the number of chances that they create, because I don't think they create, they don't create the same number of chances as City do. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a, it could go one way, it could go the other. Um, and then they've not, who else have they signed? I think, I think they're weak in midfield. And this is where the De Jong question might come into play. Yeah. Um, they just signed that Villa midfielder. Oh, Chukawenme or yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again is one like you know he probably won't play that much, but nah, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, but yeah, so it's one of them. Like I think you could definitely make the ball case. Is it the ball or the bear? Oh no, I've forgotten what the case. Each of those cases <laughs> are the good one, the really positive one. Bullish, maybe bull and the bear. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, the good case, the positive case is that Man United come together in such a way that it doesn't matter what the other clubs do because the United are playing so well that they just they they get in ahead of those other teams for the top four and finish third. But I still think even in even if Ten Hag takes time to get bed his players in and they maybe don't make the best start and they maybe sort of like they're they're struggling for a little bit, there's still there's still the potential there. they those those three teams aren't gonna pull away from them, I don't think. In mm. such a way as Liverpool and Man City are likely to pull away from them. Like if you lose a couple of games, your, your likelihood is you're gonna be six points behind both of those teams. Yeah before you've even started. Whereas, and then the, the likelihood is that you're not really going to be given an opportunity to make those six points back. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other clubs, the, the, the two and fro, two and fro throughout last season, Chelsea built up a good start, which really stood them in good stead because they finished last season really poorly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think United have got a chance and that's I suppose that's where our prediction comes in. Um, I'm going to say confidently that United will finish third. Mm. <laughs> if they make the signings, or do you think now they can finish third? No, I think if they, f- I, I'm confident that they'll make signings. Right. I don't know why. I don't know why I've got all this confidence. <laughs> I don't know why you do it to yourself. <laughs> yeah. So. I, okay, yeah, I'm just going to stick with it. So I'm confident that okay. I think Dion will end up signing. I did put my knob on the line in the last podcast, maybe mistakenly so. Um, I hope no one holds me to that. Um, but yeah, I think Dion will end up signing. Okay. And 
I I think that they'll sign a forward. I think this might be done quite late. I think maybe even deadlines, day sort of deals we might end up making, um, which will be really fucking annoying. But hey ho, we've been there before. But deadline day, you know, they could they could have already played four games and not won one of them. Yeah, exactly. So. I still think that, like I was saying before, I still don't think that those three teams are really good enough to really pull away from the rest of the league. I th- I think Chelsea might have end up struggling to start with. I think Arsenal might have quite a good start, but they've got there's an inherent flakiness to Arsenal which might yeah, which but will I think drag them back. Are, I mean, you know, we said on the last pod, well, I, I don't know, I was probably I was heavily ridiculed by yourself. I think it, well, it was definitely you and probably some other people, you know, who I haven't heard their ridicule yet. But you mm-hmm. know, I think that Arsenal are actually going to be in one of the better positions out of the clubs who are going to be chasing the top four. And I think they'll probably get top four next season. I think Arsenal are really going strength to strength in their Arteta. But, you know, obviously the Amazon documentary on them is out tomorrow, the first episode, so I'll be watching that. Uh, you know, trying to pick up some tips, I think. But uh... <laughs> what? I just think that Arsenal are looking good, honestly. I think they are doing... They've had well, if just as just as we can't lay too much or attribute or try and draw any links between preseason that Man United have and the possible season that they might that they're gonna have. So too, you can't do that with Arsenal. They've been flying in preseason. They battered Sevilla, didn't they? Six 0 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that. And he's has scored in, in every game, um, but. That doesn't mean it preseason genuinely, and I mean, I think there was there was a statistical sort of analysis done of the relationship between the first ten games of the season and the preseason that that was had that the team had had, and the uh, sort of the score of statistical significance or. Oh God, I forget the names of these scores, but basically, the closer to one it is the stronger it is, and it was 0.12. So it means that, like, it's not a very strong relationship. There's no there's right. no real correlation between right. how you do in preseason okay. and how you yeah. do in the first 10 games of the season. Uh, it's not to say that preseason just doesn't matter, but it, it's just, yeah, I don't think you can sort of attribute too much to the preseason. Oh, so, enough. but I so... They're signing some good players. I mean, Jesus, as you mentioned, you know, yes, we won't talk about his preseason form, but I just think he fit like he is a good player. You know, he's been playing for City for a number of years, and you know, obviously, City is a different ball game to Arsenal. Of course, it's a lot easier to play for City, and it's a lot easier to score goals for City. But I just think they're building a really good forward line. I mean, like you know, Saka is going to be one of the best players in the league in the next few seasons, in my opinion. He's he's brilliant. Uh, Smith Rowe looks like a good player. You know, so I mean, Pepe, they need to get rid of Pepe. I think, you know, I think he's a bit of a lost cause personally. But, you know, I think that they do have Odegaard as well, of course, looks like a really good player. I just think they've they've got quite a good attacking core of young players. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I think I would say that I would still rather have the three that unite, maybe not the three. Maybe okay, Rashford, Martial, and Sancho all playing well. I'd rather have them three than the three at Arsenal. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I think um, ideally you'd take you'd swap Martial for Saka 
and then that'd be perfect for United, in my opinion. But you know, there you go. Like, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Tr- no, Sancho, like Sancho is better player, but he's better playing on the right. Yes, that, 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 yeah, that, like, that's been established now, which is really good. Uh, well, I say established. He's done well in pre-season, and we've just said that we can't say say anything about crazy. You <laughs> can't use pre-season as a basis. So, yeah, yeah. we'll have to. I, like, there's so much up in the air. There's so many unknowns. I think, like, all of the clubs above United have got problems. Some more so than others. There's a, there's a lot of uncertainty to how the, a lot of these clubs have played in recent seasons. And yeah, United have. I think United have got a chance, no matter what, for the top four. I think they'll probably be in it up until late in the season. My hope is that they'll put a run together, mm. um, and that ideally, like we've been saying, you're going to be seeing progress in the team as well as with results. Yeah. And yeah, the hope is that they've got a really strong basis then from which to build for next season and then if they've got Champions League football it'll be so much easier because they're like obviously Champions League football is a big one sounds like it's a big one for De Jong mm. and it's maybe hamstrung them a bit this season it'll be so much easier then, then once they start get people they qualify for the Champions League to get to build on what they've they've started with this season so yeah that'll be That'll be. I. Th- I think I'm. I'm convinced to myself that that's where the United are going to finish third, a sketchy third, but third nonetheless. Okay, fair enough. Well, what about you? Oh, uh, well, you know, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna finish third. It'd be interesting to see. Like, you know, I think that you know there are caveats to it. I think if they do sign Frankie De Jong and they do sign some targets who he's after then obviously, I mean, they need to, they need to, like, as you've said, or as you alluded to, they are not going to finish third without any signings. They're not going to do it. Currently, they won't finish in the top four. So, you know, and I don't really have any faith or confidence that they are going to add anyone really significant. If they don't get Frankie de Jong, I think they might, they might not get a midfielder because, you know, if you're Ruben Neves, you're sat there in Wool, Wolverhampton, you're thinking, right, okay, hopefully I'll sign for Man United or hopefully I'll sign for someone. And then you're watching this whole Frankie de Jong business, you know, uh, play out. And then so they come to you and you're like, oh, yeah, you're our second choice and you know it. Well, I'm not really going to sign for him, am I? You know what I mean? I'm thinking, well, I might sign for somebody else who's in for me. You know what I mean? It's just bad. It just look, it's a bad look. So I don't think they're going to get... Look, if they get Frankie De Jong, then great. They'll probably. I, I, I honestly, personally, don't think that they're going to finish fifth or sixth. To be honest with you, just because I think Tottenham are, are, are doing well. I think Chelsea are doing well. No, they're not. Sorry, apologies. Let me let me rephrase. Tottenham uh, have made some decent signings. Yes, as you say, the, the team standard hasn't. Re- they've kind of stagnated, but they are. A, they are still have a good team, especially if Kane and Son hit the ground running again. Um, Chelsea have got some good players, but Arsenal are my pick. I think they're going to finish third or fourth, Arsenal for sure. So I think United are going to struggle. But I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm like, well, I'm not. I have just what everything I said is not optimistic. But you know, <laughs> I, I do think that it will be better than last season for sure. Oh, which, it has to be. It has which, to be. And that's, I think, that's really all you want as a United fan, isn't it? You know, for for improvement 
to be able for, to, for him to go in and stamp his authority and say, this is the way I want to play and for them to play that way and for it to be entertaining. And if it is, then it'll be loved and it'll be really good and it'll be really good to watch. And even if they finish seventh or sixth or fifth or wherever they finish, it will be good and it'll be good to watch and that'll be an improvement. Yes, I agree. I agree. Do you think they'll? Do you think they might win the Europa League? No, aren't. Uh, I mean, there's always good teams who drop out from the Champions League, isn't there? So you know, if you get somebody like Atletico Madrid in the in the, in it, then they'll, they'll Atletico Madrid will beat them over two legs. Yeah, we'll have to see. They got quite a, when they did win it. They got quite a lucky run, didn't they? To the yeah, and they beat they beat Ten Hag's uh, Ajax in the final, which is really funny to think. Um, but yeah, it's going to be. I think they'll probably reassess it. I think that that's I heard on another podcast the sort of the the argument put forward, which I thought was a, quite an interesting one. That they'll probably look at the situation when they break for the World Cup and see where they are in the league, mm. and and if they're into the next round. I mean, they're assuming that they're going to qualify for the next round of the Europa League, which I think they probably will do. Um, then they might look at it and go, "We'll focus on the Europa League." If we've if we've dropped ten points behind the top four, um, prior to the World Cup break breaking for the World Cup, give them yeah. a chance to reset and go right. We'll we'll shift focus onto the Europa League, and that could be a route into the Champions League. Yeah, I mean it's it's not really a fair season to measure him on, is it? Like because of the disruption that the World Cup is mm. going to. Um, this is the thing. Yeah, it is. It's a tricky one, but I think. Unfortunately, he's only, I mean, he's got a three year contract, so this is a third of his time yeah, here, yeah. or a third of his initial time anyway. Yeah. Here, so but he's got also spill into next season as well because they're not going to get a proper summer, they're going to want to start the season, uh, you know, similar if not slightly later, you know, in August. So they're going to just, you know, they're not going to get a break next summer, really. I wouldn't think like a proper one because considering how much football they're going to play this year. When does the season finish this well, year? Well, that's it. Are they going to extend it for the World no, Cup? No, they're finishing it. They're fitting more into the first half. That was what my thought of it was. Um, um, like, let's let's have just have a quick look. Phil, Harry, while I look up the last well, bit. Like, the thing is, even if, even if it is, you know, the same length, it's more games, so you need more time to recover than a, than a normal summer, aren't you? Really, because you're playing a hell of a lot more games. So, yeah, that's going to be the thing. Yeah, and so then you get your so you get a normal summer, which isn't enough, and then you got to play another season, and then we're into 2024, which is the world the the, the Euros. Yeah, true. And so then, really, he's the, actually this Man United team under Ten Hag for the length of his contract aren't going to get a proper summer off until his last summer. <laughs> they, they're finishing on the 28th of May, the Premier League this year. And then they're starting again, probably mid to late August. Well, they'll be, it'll be a later because they're starting early this year as well, aren't exactly. they? Yeah, yeah. So it'll be because they're starting early August. So they're starting you know, in two days, aren't they? It just, oh, it just feels as though, you know, the way it's going, they've been playing far too many games and they've been playing far too many games for a long time now. You know, they're trying to fit in more 
um, and since COVID, pretty much. Yeah, this has been the thing, hasn't it? COVID's really, really hammered this home. But yeah, we'll have to. Uh, I mean, it's a yeah, it's certainly a challenge. It's the gun that being laid down. He still doesn't look like he's going to take shit, which I said before, which I like. So hopefully, well, exactly. that that's, that's that stands us in good stead. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But um. So so yeah. So I, I'm I, I've got I'm mixed. Put, just to put your knob on the block, Harry. What position you think United are going to finish? And you can add a proviso if you want. Okay, fifth or sixth, but I'll probably say fifth. Uh, fifth, even but, with De Jong. Yeah. Yeah, fifth. Okay. Okay. If. Mm, well, yeah. So fit, even with the young, it'll be fifth, I think. Like you know, and if they bought, if they don't sign him, and if they don't sign someone who is, uh, you know, a midfielder and also a forward, if they don't sign those, address those problem areas, they'll finish seventh. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Yeah, that's that's our opinion, and um, yeah, so I think that's probably a good place to uh, to end this. Then, um, just quickly though. Uh, are you confident that uh, everything is going to fall into place for the re- remainder of the summer and, you know, with the transfers? Do you feel as though things will go well for United? Um, I'm, it, uh, well, it's going to be, it depends how you define well. It already hasn't gone that well. But yeah, I think, like I said before, I think they, I think De Jong will sign. I just feel like, Unless and well, I mean, worse things have happened. Man United bid 120 million pounds for Gareth Bale when he was about to sign for Real Madrid. So they just they they do bonkers shit. Basically, they've been doing bonkers shit for a while now. But it would it would it would amaze me and also make me feel very very sad about the state of the club if they've been pursuing De Jong for such a long time and he doesn't want to come and that's what gives me confidence that it'll eventually happen and it's more a problem with Barcelona side so it's just a case of being patient on that one they look like they're going to try and sign another forward they may end up signing someone who is a bit of a no mark would be my guess potentially they might sign someone on loan or someone a bit like Cavani or on the worst, the worst, worst end of that spectrum, Igalo, um, sort of a forward to fill a space to play the Europa League games that they don't want Martial or Rush, Rashford to play. Um, and then they might try and get another one in. And it might be that if they sign Benjamin Sesco, they might sign another old fart on a free or a loan and then get De Jong in as well. I say I think they I can see them doing three more. Okay, fair enough. Well, that'll be interesting. It'll all be interesting no matter what happens. So Oh yes. Oh yes. I'm excited though. I'm excited for the Brighton game. I'm sure that excitement will abate by about the time we're up five minutes into that game. Like <laughs> Kuka Ray is replacement Kuku Bayer or whoever they end up signing. <laughs> Pops up with an incredible header. Pass and De Gea is flapping at it and yeah. Maguire is falling over his own dick. Well, I'm sure that'll be, you know, entertaining anyway. So, uh, well, we'll leave it there. I'd pay so, to watch Harry Maguire fall over his own dick. That that would be 
well, yeah, I think everyone would, that would be pretty hilarious. He does look like that is happening a lot of the time, to be fair. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, well, thank you very much for that, Andrew. Uh, it's been yes, a Harry. very uh, interesting conversation. Um, if I die tomorrow, if I die tonight, my last words have been, I'd pay to see Harry Maguire fall over his own dick. Well, so, you know, that's yeah, an epitaph. Well, you know, exactly. It's a good one. way to go. Good epitaph. So, uh, <laughs> well, yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been our thoughts on Man United season coming up, and we will probably be doing another one a couple of months into the season, maybe, or maybe even yeah. sooner, depending on how badly it's going. So we might yeah. do a we might do a wrap up for the transfer window. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. Actually, yeah, that's yeah. really good. So uh, we'll probably be back to you from late August. I will be doing another one very soon. I'll be doing my own uh, season preview. And also an episode on the women's uh, national team uh, success. So thank you very much. And, you know, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.